Hello, welcome to the Theology Podcast, live from Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, we're very grateful once again to Trinity Reformed Church for sponsoring our presence here, and we're also grateful to Preservation Company. I tell you what, this is a really fabulous and kind of cool, uh, not kind of, really cool facility with a lot of really great stuff. I, I'm I know uh, uh, something about reclamation and uh, architectural preservation and stuff like that. And we've got places up in the New England area that don't hold a candle to this place. This place has got some really awesome stuff. And if you get a chance to check out the store, you should. And there are more things upstairs. And I believe the, bi the business is open tonight. So if you want to go in and get something, I think there are some things, uh, chocolate and stuff, you know. So if you're into that. A door, like, there's like a few the doors. entire human race is in the chocolate. <laughs> so you can do that. Anyway, I'm C.R. Wiley. I'm a pastor. I serve a church in the Pacific Northwest. I live in Battleground, Washington. And uh, I've written some books. The latest book is in the house of Tom Bombadil. Tom, tell us about yourself. Tom Price. I'm a teacher, first and foremost. I teach theology. I teach ethics. I teach philosophy and a lot of other things. One of the places is at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Great. And we're going to have Glenn introduce himself and then introduce the topic of the day. But I just wanted you to know, we were just in Memphis, and we had a great couple of shows there with a couple of really re remarkable guests, Doug Grotheist and then uh, George Grant. And uh, now uh, we're just going to do something with us. <laughs> and the topic that uh, Glenn has picked out is really intriguing. Glenn, tell us about yourself and then about the topic. I'm Glenn Sunshine. I'm a retired history professor uh, specializing in the Reformation. Uh, I am a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, Ministry Associated Reflections Ministries. My latest book is 32 Christians Who Changed Their World. And I haven't said this for a while, but I'm also uh, the founder of a separate ministry called Every Square Inch. Uh, our topic uh, today is actually jumping off of an article I just ran across a couple of days ago. Um, it was written by a conservative commentator in London. The man is an atheist or perhaps an agnostic. He's not a huge fan of Christianity under normal circumstances. Mm -hmm. But what he the title of the article was Believe in Believers. And his argument is that, you know, for conservatives, look, he says, you know, people like Richard Dawkins and, and, and people like that, they've, they've got this, you know, emphasis on reason and all of those kinds of things. The problem is that approach can't hold a candle to the woke. They really have no way of responding to the challenges that are being uh, posed by the woke left. And there are a whole lot of reasons for that, which we'll probably get into. But uh, he says, basically, we need Christianity. Without Christianity, we do not stand a chance as conservatives against what's going on from the left. So at, even as secularists, we need to either join with the Christian right or at least get out of their way. <laughs> and that is, that's actually his words. So... What I'd like to do tonight is uh, kind of explore why that is and uh, get some uh, input on some of the arguments from the uh, other two guys on my left here. <laughs> so um, I, I guess the first place I want to start is, is a point he makes that I think is really intriguing. He says, look, anybody can follow reason. Anybody can be rational. 
it takes real commitment to be irrational. And he says, the fact of the matter is, the left is really irrational. They claim to, to believe, in, believe the science, but they reject biology. And irrationality requires real commitment. And on the left, they wear irrationality like a uniform. And anything that's that large with uniforms on, on is an army. And that's what we're facing. So I just wanted to, to, to sort of toss out this idea about irrationality and see if you guys have any comments on that. Yeah, I, I guess my, my, my initial reaction is that it um, doesn't entirely follow. I, I think that what that also implies is that we're irrational, at least in his eyes. Mm -hmm. I think what he and many people who are uh, on the uh, basically uh, secular and maybe uh, I guess classical in their understanding of, say, the nature of reason and so forth, in terms of at least the practice or the use of reason, they can't give any uh, coherent account for the origin of reason and why it works. Uh, they'll fall back on, say, you know, Darwinian evolution to explain its, its origins, but then if you think about it very long, you'd realize that it doesn't really follow that you know, just simply uh, the quest to survive would make you capable of, say, splitting an atom. In, in other words, evolutionary processes have so remarkably overcompensated us, you can't use that argument to justify the fact that we possess reason. In other words, there are just, if, if survival was all there was to it, we didn't need this to survive. There are lots of creatures who survive just fine and they don't possess the gift of reason uh, as we possess it. So where does it come from uh, and why does it work? They, don't, they, just, they just assume it does. So what you're saying is that their emphasis on reason is unreasonable. That's exactly it's an right. Irra it, it, it's an irrational commitment. <laughs> That's right. It is, it is an irrational commitment because they can't go where they know they need to go. So, they, yeah. they don't want to go there. So it, it, you could put it this simple, you know, if... The embrace of reason assumes there's a reality to be reasonable about. But if there's no, there's no source of reality, then there's no reality to be rational or irrational about. <laughs> so everything flows from the fact that you need a source of reality that also has stamped that reality with intelligibility in order for it to be intelligibly known and understood and communicated and reasoned about. Without that... There's nihil. So it's an irrational leap, but it, it's also one that, beyond the kind of irrational commitment, it just violates every law of logic they claim to be committed to. Yeah, I think that what we see is a failure, failure of nerve on the part of guys like this guy. Because what the left has done has actually been more, they've been, they've been honest. They've taken it where it necessarily goes. Mm -hmm. This guy wants to stay someplace that you can't stay you either need to go back to the Christian faith or something like Islam, Judaism, uh, or push forward. You can't, you know, where, where he is is not, uh, not a sound place to stand. Yeah, interestingly enough, he does make that point. Okay. He says that what happened with, you know, the, the success in reason in sort of dethroning Christianity has left this sort of free-form value thing with an emphasis on freedom and that sort of thing. And he acknowledges that that's what produced the woke left. Mm -hmm. 
And he says, what we need is some sort of anchoring. And in the West, that anchoring has always been supplied by Christianity. So we need to, you know, we need that anchor. Now, whether or not we agree with, with Christians on everything, we have to at least support them. That, that's the key point of the argument. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a purely pragmatic argument, frankly. Do you, do you see a kind of Darwinianism in that for him? I mean, on his behalf? In the sense that Christianity, even if it's not true, becomes basically a survival mechanism. <laughs> yeah, it's got utility. And that's, that's, you know, what the pragmatists and uh, many of the, you know, some of the founding fathers, yeah. they, they weren't Christians in the sense that we believed that, uh, you know, you need to be, a, in terms of your convictions, to be defined as a Christian. But they're, they're still operating within a sense, a sort of a framework in which they, they see that the Christian faith provides the moral framework that makes society stable and productive and so forth. But um, anyway. Yeah, he goes on to say that, frankly, the, the approach that Dawkins and other, other um, secularists who are conservative, he says the approach that they take cannot shape society. No way. It it can't shape society. It can't provide values. It can't do any of those things, which is why, left to its own devices, it tends to move into this realm of chaos on the left. What I don't get is, you know, he acknowledges all of that is true, and yet he still wants to hold to his position, (laughs) which I I, I find a little bit, well, questionable. Yeah. Now, we might... See him as, you know, as being on the, the way to something. You know, this is some, a point in a, in a process or a journey. Hopefully that's the case. Yeah, actually, it, he's not the only one. I've, I've run into a yeah. number of new atheists who are making essentially the same argument. Yeah, you know, just, we need to recover Christianity. We need to be Christian atheists, if nothing else. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's, basically that's basically it. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah, and that's something that we as Christians who who uh, emphasize the importance of faith and uh, having your heart in it, uh, have a hard time reconciling ourselves to, and, I, and that's, that's good that, that we, we do. But um, let's say we win. Let's say that the Christian faith returns to uh, its, the, the pride of place that it once possessed, and it does shape the, the larger framework within which our society you know, examines itself and, and thinks about the good life, there are going to be a lot of insincere people. Yeah. And we got to get used to it. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I mean, it, what they idealize, often like Dawkins and figures like that, is vic, sort of the Victor, Victorian era that was starting to put a great privilege on science, criticizing the cultural Christianity, all the while needing it to hold everything in place. I mean, that's sort of what they, they see as uh, the, the good return. So what I, I guess what I'm getting at is we need a yeah. kind of theology that's capable of asserting the values are true because they're true, not because we believe them. Yeah. And it's great to believe them, and you should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's still the values that are shaping our society, and that's a good thing even if people are hypocritical. There's, you know, there's La Rochefoucauld, uh, his, his famous quip, hypocrisy is the homage that vice pays to virtue. Do you really think all those woke people are sincere? No. They're, most of them are frauds. They really are. They don't really believe in the equality they talk about. 
It, um, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's a uh, billionaire businessman, actually uh, running for the Republican nomination right now, did a book a couple of years ago called Woke Inc., in which he sort of pulled back the curtain on woke corporations and basically said, look, these guys are are incredibly cynical. They don't believe any of this stuff. It's all just marketing ploys. And, and he names names. And he knows all these guys. I mean, he's, he's just really telling you what, what happened. Not surprisingly, for some reason, the book disappeared. <laughs> you know, it, it, it never got the airplay that it should have. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we, we've got to recognize the issue of hypocrisy here. But there's another side to this. If we really believe that Christianity is true, that it's not just a matter of, you know, this is what I choose to believe. It, it is objective truth. And if we believe that God is good, what follows from that is when God tells us a certain way to live, that's going to be the way that's going to cause human flourishing. And, and we promote it as such. Right. And if, in fact, we love our neighbor, we must promote it. And whether or not they, they accept the faith, out of love of neighbor, we should hope that they at least adopt cultural Christianity because that will, that will result in their best life, at least in this world. Now, we want them to come to faith, of course, but um, this, this is why we should be promoting these things. We have, in other words, a foundation for the ethical ideas that we are promoting in society, a foundation not simply because we believe in God, but because we believe in absolute truth, and absolute truth includes issues of ethics. So let's just kind of like a, as a thought experiment, let's say we have, we're, we're in the 19th century, uh, when Hindu men died and their wives would throw themselves on the pyre, sati I think is what it was called, yep. right? Uh, the Christian, uh, the Brits, who were the colonial power in, in place, they put a stop to it. And they didn't care whether or not the women who threw themselves on the pyres were sincere or not, or believed that, that it was wrong. <laughs> they just told them, this is wrong. Or the men who, who were throwing them on, they just said, you know what, you're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, actually, there's a great quote from one of the British um, uh, governors or something in India, he said something to the effect of, well, you have a custom that you burn widows on the funeral pyres of your, their husbands. We British have a custom that we hang people who do that. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to hang you if you do that. <laughs> we're going to assert our values here. Yeah. It's not uh, relativism, Inc. <laughs> yeah. One of the interesting things, going back to something you said earlier, Continental atheists work by a really different set of rules than British atheists do. The continental atheists, if you read the ones in France or, or Germany, will frequently sort of sneeringly describe the British atheists as Christian atheists. And the reason for that is because they're trying to hold on to Christian morality and Christian virtue and all of those kinds of things while getting rid of Christianity. The continental ones are a little bit more honest. They're saying, look, we can't, we can't just simply adopt Christian values. What we need is a whole new foundation for values, and we need to follow that wherever it leads. Yeah, we, that, we, that's what we see with Sartre and with Nietzsche. And the problem is, is they never give you anything to work with. They just talk about, well, it'll happen. We need to get there. We just need to kind of get rid of everything in the meantime. Now, occasionally they'll, they'll talk you know, about silly, silly things like Marx 
you know. Or utilitarianism. Oddly enough, they'll go to utilitarianism, even though it came from a Brit. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, even with utilitarianism, you're just talking about a means to an end, but you don't really have a good sense of what the end should be. Yeah, how does one, the greatest amount of happiness for the greatest number of people, how does one measure happiness? And how you, does one quantify it? And then you have to define it. What right. is happiness? Is it just a sense of bliss? Well, then just take some drugs. I, th I think an important thing, though, to address what they're up to, kind of a little thought experiment here, I think the woke's claim is that rationality is basically a smokescreen for a committed will and a committed will that has advantages for everyone. And I, I'm curious why this author thinks that Christianity over their form of kind of just pure ra scientific rationalism, if you will, or scientism, um, has a capacity to address that. I mean, I understand the connection to morality, but a lot of the woke see the morality as basically the outplay of that will to power. Um, and I think that, I, I mean, I think that, I think the atheist with their complete confidence in reason is losing their confidence in reason. <laughs> I think that's what they're saying well, here. I, I guess, I'm, yeah. I wonder, Tom, yeah. whether we're talking about stripes of atheism. Remember you did that yeah. show a little while about, back yeah. about different forms of atheism. Yeah. You know, it strikes me that this character that uh, we're, we're talking about his article, strikes me as a kind of hangover from the 19th century kind of yeah. atheist, you know? Yeah. And uh, the more sort of 20th century, 21st century sort of nihilist atheist yeah. uh, who's just all about will and power and all that kind of stuff uh, is a different, he's a different breed. I think he's more honest. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's the way in which, I mean, so, I mean, his way of suggesting Christianity somehow communicate its vision in a climate of wokeness if reason isn't going to be the vehicle. And I guess that, that's my curiosity. Is what he's suggesting is that it's the moral, the commitment of the moral life of Christianity that somehow may, may be able to counter it. I'm, I'm just curious what he, why he thinks, because Christians will defend their faith like anyone else. We'll use reason. I mean, of course, we have a confidence in reason because there's a rationally ordered reality um, ordered towards God, its fulfillment. And so we, we use it. But in the climate in which reason is suspect all the way down from the woke, from anyone who uses it except them for their reason, how do you, how does the, this atheist think Christianity is going to have some advantage in communicating its vision in this climate when atheism can't? That's I, kind of I, I think he actually offers an answer to that. Now, I have an okay. advantage that I actually read the article. I, <laughs> I didn't. I haven't. I, I didn't send it on to yeah, the now, others Now you've got a, a peek behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time, we're making it up as we go, and only one of us has read the article. Yeah. Well, I, I usually try to send it around early, but I changed my topic in the middle of the day today, so there you have it. Um, but uh, I, I think what, what he's arguing is that Christianity provides a comprehensive vision that, that is enough that, is, that can create culture. Okay. And he says, frankly, the, the kind of reason that, that we've been advocating can't do that. So it's a pragmatic argument. Christianity yeah. has the, the intellectual 
breadth needed to create culture, whereas pure rationalistic atheism doesn't. I mean, I, as near as I can tell, he flat out admits that. I think, I think my, my only issue with him knowing the philosophical world where this stuff is debated is most woke people don't care if you produce the kind of culture that Christianity wants to produce. Right. That's their whole issue. Yeah, but, so, you know what I mean? but, but yeah. his argument is that in the battle for hearts and minds, I guess, yeah. Christianity I mean, can provide a vision yeah. that will win people over. It won't win over the hardcore left. I think everybody yeah. recognizes that. But it, it, can, it can win over enough of the population to tip the scales in the right direction. Yeah, or I think, you know, to, to poke him a bit, I think what it offers is when it's enacted truthfully, flourishing happens, life happens. Beauty happens, goodness happens, and because of that, good culture happens. And that, all those things are true, Tom, but we, we both know people who hate goodness, beauty, and truth. Yeah, well, that's right. I, I think in his, his case, he knows that you can't survive as a species if you don't well, yeah, have a yeah, culture. That, yeah. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of survival as a species, another thing he talks about yeah. is uh, reproduction. Yeah. He points out that the only Western country that is reproducing above the sort of minimal rate, 2.1 uh, kids, is Israel. And his implication is because it's got a strong religious culture. And I think he also recognizes that, you know, it's the conservative Christians who are the ones who are having babies. And meaning, he, uh, meaning outside of Israel. Yeah, outside of Israel, in the West. And, well, as he puts it, the future belongs to those who show up. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just a stunning thing <laughs> to see how short-sighted people on the left are. Yeah. I don't think that uh, we have a full appreciation for the fact that progressives are really not interested in the future. Yeah. They're interested in the present. Yeah. They're interested in maximizing their options in the present, mm -hmm. and they're willing to uh, commit character assassination when it comes to the dead, hmm. spend all of their time criticizing the shortcomings of, of our ancestors and spend almost no time praising them for their virtues. And um, because they don't really believe in the future, they don't uh, intend to populate it. it. So in this case, just fleshing out some ideas in relationship, is procreation the embodied rational apologetic that undermines both wokeness and the atheistic vision? I'm talking the actual living practice of it. Is this sort of where he's going more, more than anything else? Well, again, in, in his case, he's making a pragmatic argument. Yeah. Um, we, we need to ally with the Christian right. Even if we don't like everything that they stand for, we need to ally with them because the alternative is the left. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 buy it. I buy that completely. I wonder how, what, how uh, comfortable we will be with that sort of ally. Yeah, yeah it, which raises an important question. He does, in fact, point out that it's completely inappropriate for them to try to manip manipulate or use us. He's actually making an argument like what Schaefer made uh, with regard to abortion. We're, co we're co-belligerents. Right. You know, we're both fighting for the same thing. We may have different, um, the different ideas about other things, but at least on these things we can agree, and so we need to at least work together. 
Does he does he delineate the, the things that we can work together uh, on? Well, mostly it seems opposition to the left. Just kind of okay. There are common enemies, sort of like <laughs> yeah. you know the the free countries and Soviet Union both saw the Nazis as a problem. Right. Yeah. In in a, in a sense, it's and and you know he's honest about it. You know he says, mm-hmm. look. A lot of people are going to say, "Yeah, but what happens if the Christians win? We will we'll have this terrible thing where where the Christians are are running everything." Um, <laughs> and, and his answer is, "Look, that's decades away." Yeah. It, it, <laughs> at least he's if, an optimist. <laughs> it, it, if it if if it happens at all, it's going to be decades away, and if we don't move together, we're going to get the left. We're going to get woke. And, so, and that he sees, rightly, as, as disastrous. Now, if we think about what it, this looks like from his perspective, so in his calculus, life under a, le, a, a woke regime is worse than a life under a Christian regime. That's more or less what he's suggesting, yeah. Yeah. Let's think about that a little bit. Mm. Why would that be the case, seeing as the left is as, uh, you know, atheistic as he is? What would, what would he see us uh, providing that would make life better for a person like him? Yeah, did he get into that, or do you have any thoughts? Again, he didn't go into any details, but... One of the things he's really disturbed by on the left is its irrationality. He doesn't realize where his own holes are. Yeah. But, you know, the idea that believe the science but ignore biology is one specific thing he mentions. And he talks about the whole Soji stuff, yeah. uh, sexual orientation, gender identity. Um, he talks about all the Soji stuff as, um, as really, again, correctly, I would say, as really the... the um, point to the, the tip of the spear right now in the battle. That's where everything is being centered. And yeah. he just, he sees this for what it is. It's a completely irrational, frankly insane uh, approach to, to humanity. And he believes we need to counter it. And he thinks the only way to do that is, frankly, Christianity. But mm-hmm. it, it's interesting, though, because here, here we have what, what the woke has done to them is what they th- did ended up doing to Christianity in many ways. It's yep. basic scientism. It's delegitimizing them as an, well, it's making them a non-legitimate authority. And so, what has woke done to the hard sciences? We never thought it would go there. Yeah, it's yeah. Actually, it's actually entered their terrain where they they entered our terrain, no problem. I'm not interested in the allyship with a bunch of atheists, because, you know, and so, so I'm not buying it. I, the James Lindsay's of the world, great. If you want to argue in, against wokeness, fine. But, you know, this, this utilitarian approach to Christianity is just as destructive, in my opinion, as, as, you know, the woke reaction can be, because it isn't dealing with Christianity as, other than, you know, in a functional way. And Christianity is a functional way is what ends up leading to kind of wokeism, if you will. It's, it's Christian liberalism continuously ripped from its, its Christian heritage and replaced with a, a much more uh, radical and destructive vision. I mean, Glenn, you've talked about many times the way in which woke takes sort of Christian elements, you know, concern of justice in this, that, and the other, but re-narrates it um, in something that is completely non-Christian, even while utilizing language that rationally would never be connected to, to that, that radical narrative they have. And, and I, think, I think this person may be recognizing the dethronement of their cultural legitimacy as atheists 
um, because somehow an atheist thought they could have Christian values and scientism control the center. And I think they're realizing now that they've been interpreted as one more projection of, of will to power on reality, they don't know where to go to preserve the last thing they thought they could hold on to with their own view, but they can't. They're desperate. Yeah, I remember, you know, people in STEM, you know, uh, they thought they were immune to all this not nonsense and, you know, coming from the humanities, and now they're co all capitulated. <laughs> they're all compromised. You see it everywhere. You know, I'm just waiting for the bridge to collapse under me because we don't believe in math anymore, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's where it's gone. <laughs> yeah, what... I, I'm not advocating this guy's argument, just to be clear, <laughs> but what... <laughs> But what, what, I am, what I am trying to explore is that the, this entire fact that suddenly these people into scientism and atheism, the, the people, even like Dawkins and some of these other guys who have been attacking Christianity and saying religion's everything that's wrong with the world, they're beginning to say, um, yeah, maybe we got that wrong. By the way, did you hear that Dawkins' assistant converted? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the 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 guy who worked with him—I mean, he was his personal assistant. He did pretty much everything for Dawkins. Is now a believer. You know, but but what 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 is it, what really intrigued me about this article is the fact that you have this—you know—this guy who is an unapologetic atheist or perhaps agnostic who is not really, in general, a fan of Christianity, who is opposed to Christianity. We got a train going by. <laughs> All the folks out there in podcast land, in 60 countries around the world, there is a train that it's just an, went by. It's, it's not a tornado, right? <laughs> <laughs> just want to make sure. It's my first time in Alabama. <laughs> yeah, let, let's try that again. Um, what, what, what intrigues me is that this group that was so vociferously opposed to Christianity was terrified at the idea of a theocracy. Mm. That's right. Is, is it's now, so laughable. <laughs> it, it, we can't even agree on what color to paint the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 You've been a part of those church committee meetings, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, when I was on a church board once, it was the closest I ever came to leaving that church. <laughs> um, We're supposed to take over the world. We can't decide what color to paint the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, but, but they're suddenly realizing that the world that they thought they were creating is impossible without us. That is what really yeah. intrigues me. Yeah. Well, this is where we get, we get coy. <laughs> Ooh, you guys are so smart. That, that, kind of, that, kind of. that was kind of what I was trying to say earlier. <laughs> are you sure you're not, right. Are you sure you're not from New Jersey? <laughs> so let's think about where do we go from here? You know, I, I, you know, we, I think, are correct in our concerns about a pragmatic approach to these matters. But when you, you, know, you deal with reality on the ground, you, you sometimes have to just work with the people that you're you know, given. Let's say you, know, you are in a, I don't know, political party, or let's say you're in a institution of higher learning, and suddenly all the you know, old-fashioned atheists are getting really friendly. 
and <laughs> kind of pulling you aside, you know, wanting to talk. Buying you a few rounds. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. You know, you know, how do you respond to that? Uh, what do you say? You know, what can we do together? Or do we just say, guys, just sit on the bench, watch us, you know, and uh, see what happens? Or do we actually say, yeah, there are some things we can do together? Uh, and what would those things be? Any, any ideas? Well, I, I would say that there are all kinds of practical things that are possible. Yeah. Um, just, just Got like the train the, again. <laughs> just like the train in the background. Are you um, sure that's a train? <laughs> that's right. That's right. We, now, you know, one of the things that's important to know, for folks who are outside the United States, we are in Tornado Alley here, so... <laughs> you know, are there any trailer parks nearby? <laughs> that's right. Uh, there goes one now. <laughs> Did you know 90% of the tornadoes in the world are in Tornado Alley in the United States? It's actually the truth. It's, it's, we are like Tornado Central. It's a little anyway. side fact. Yeah. <laughs> right. and, and did you know that on the podcast, we often go off on rabbit trails? <laughs> so, um, sorry to get you off track there. Yeah, well, um, de derailing me. <laughs> um. <laughs> it just gets worse and worse. <laughs> Yes, I, I, I have occasionally had large iron girders dropped in front of my train of thought. Um, but, uh, but, so, so, so. That was superlative. <laughs> Harking so, back to another show. Yeah. Yes. So the, the question is, what can we do with them? Well, you don't have to be a Christian to vote for a political candidate. You know, there, there are things that we can do. Uh, you know, elections don't solve everything. As a matter of fact, elections don't solve many things. But there are things that, at times, um, you know, who's in office matters. And there is no reason why we can't team up with Muslims, with atheists, or whomever to promote candidates that support our viewpoints. You know, there's no reason why we can't work with people who are, you know, who, who differ from us, who aren't believers, but who want to ac accomplish parallel things, similar things within society, getting pornography out of school libraries. You know, there's no reason why we can't do those kinds of things with them. Yeah. So yeah, it's commi commitment just on a to pragmatic the common level. good. I mean, a yeah. shared commitment to the common good and standing against evils we both can recognize are evil and utilizing reason and all the other tools we have to go about it. It's, it, I mean, again, I, I do kind of appreciate the fact that they're recognizing things we've been saying for years and they recognize that, you know, ethics unmoored from a, a transcendent vision like Christianity end up leading to woke rather than, yeah, you know. There, there are remarkable things that are happening all over yeah. in uh, the world of, you know, the public, you know, when it comes to public intellectuals, yeah. uh, people who have been known to be antagonistic to the Christian faith for decades are now reading the Bible and seeing its wisdom. Seeing its, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that's going on that that we couldn't have anticipated. Yeah. You know, I, I've talked about, and we've talked about before, how <laughs> COVID was kind of an apocalypse. <laughs> and it revealed to us that some of the people that we thought were our friends weren't. Yeah. And we're also seeing that some of the people that we thought were our implacable enemies perhaps mm -hmm. can be our friends. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's a strange time that we live in. Just think about the, the book Dominion. 
Because this, this, yeah. this, this ties in. You know, so Tom Holland wrote a book yeah. entitled Dominion. Here's an atheist, yeah. an historian, who understands what life was like in the classical world. Yeah. And he concedes that the only reason why the world is better today than it was then is the Christian faith. Yeah. yeah you can look at Luc Ferry, who's a, a French atheist who wrote a book on, on the history of thought. And he included a chapter on Christianity. And all of his fellow atheists were, were saying, what, what are you doing? This mm -hmm. doesn't belong here. And he said, well, I really wish I could have left it out, but I can't. You know, because it is critically important for so many of the ideas and values that we, that we have today that you know, we can't get there without it. Now, here's a problem, though, is, and we're, we're uh, kind of red-faced when we think about this. Do we have a great deal of confidence in our church leaders? And I mean not just in our local church leaders, but in church leaders you know, at uh, other levels, higher levels, so to speak, to be able to carry the water uh, when it comes to these matters. Um, I was just at a, an academic conference. Uh, World-class intellectual was there and was commiserating over the problems that, that we see in Western society. And he just kind of threw up his hands and said, we, would, we should be able to look to the church, but can we do that? He said, no, I, I, I can't see anything coming from the church that gives me any reason to believe that the church is able to rise to the occasion. Unfortunately, I think that's a, that's a pretty sober assessment. I, mean, yeah, I think that yeah. that's, that's actually accurate. Um, without going to atheists who I think, you know, that I, I think we can uh, to some degree work with, um, let's look at a Jungian like Jordan Peterson. Uh, Peterson's, there are all kinds of problems with Peterson. <laughs> but he's saying a lot of really, well, a lot of the right things. And he's reaching an audience that, frankly, we have done pitifully at reaching. And the question is, can we work with the things that he is producing and orient them in a, well, in a more accurate direction. I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna give you a, throw, a wholehearted endorsement of, of Peterson, but I think he is actually in many ways an effective ally. And someone who should make us feel ashamed of ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, the, the body or the group of people you're talking about are young men. Right. Young men who have been uh, castigated and vilified by many church leaders who uh, have more or less um, spent their time trying to find ways to placate people who hate the church. Mm -hmm. That's it. Rather than looking at that demographic and saying, that's our future, that's an opportunity, this is a group of people who've got great potential and ought to be, you know, uh, addressed. Uh, I, in terms of my own ministry, um, the most uh, fruitful group of people that I spend time working with are young men in terms of their responsiveness. I think young men today are more open to the gospel than I can remember them ever being. And, and there's even a slight attraction to it because the, <laughs> the typical gear, especially with younger men who've been basically marginalized and left out of the picture and blamed for every kind of sin known to humanity and having to suppress their will and everything and take a back seat, is there is a certain kind of rebelliousness <laughs> that the Christian faith and its subversion of, you know, fallen reality is, 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 is an open avenue for them right now. 
Mm-hmm. They understand what it means to be on the outside, and then they see Christianity being pushed to the outside, and they're starting to say, wait a minute, there's, some, there's, a, there's a congruity here. A, a certain kind yeah. of Christianity. Let's, yeah. be, let's be clear. Yeah. Right. Mainstream, uh, well, the main line has shut itself yeah. off from young men for yeah. the last 50 years or more. Yeah. And increasingly, uh, the mainstream evangelical world has done the same. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of the fringe of yeah. the evangelical world yeah. that is able to speak to these guys. That's right. You know, I, yeah. I've, I've said, I actually wrote an article called Reinventing the Flat Tire, uh, <laughs> which is a lot of the way that the evangelical churches are working. They're following the path that was already blazed by the mainline. Yeah, and, and yeah. they think they're going to get different results. It's just absolutely stupid. Right. I don't actually think, I know many of these guys. So this isn't like a hypothesis or an hypothesis or, or a, a straw man. I know these guys. I can give you names. <laughs> yeah. You know. So uh, this is a this is this is the church that's supposed to rise to the occasion. Yeah. That yeah. That that church isn't going to rise to anything. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what, what what you actually find is it's the conservative reformed churches and especially the ones that are the most vilified that are being the most successful in reaching that group. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I, well, I think, I think traditionalist Christians across the board, I mean, you, you see it in, with orthodoxy and mm-hmm. it, it yeah. reaching into it very much too. Classic historic Christianity in any of its forms anchored in the truth of creation and redemption is in, in tie, tying its vision to that reality, the one the, the Bible communicates and tells us to act within is the substance that these traditions are using that these people are attracted to. And you, you see, you know, we, we've talked about the way in which Lewis and Tolkien have been able to enter that, that space of imagination, which this flat consumer's Christianity could never, could never get there. And, and this, this is why I was curious with, with the writer of this article, what kind of Christianity did he have in mind? Definitely. Yeah, yeah that's, a, yeah, that's a great question. You know, because is it the Church of England as it currently stands? I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> well, he, he has been, he specifically put his finger on the Christian right, as he calls it. Okay. Now, what exactly he means by that, I'm I don't not sure. Know. Probably just but, Christians who believe in God. <laughs> and t- take it seriously. <laughs> Christians who believe in God, but also Christians who are, well, socially conservative, politically conservative, right. those kinds of things, I think is what he has in mind. Um, it's interesting that um, a few years ago, a number of us were, um, I'm, I'm going to name names, uh, a number of us were really concerned about the uh, potential direction the PCA was going. And yet, in the last couple of years, it's, it's kind of turned around. The danger is gone. And it's gone for, well, it seems to be gone. Um, and the, re- the reason is twofold. First of all, the people who were trying to move it in a liberal direction got uh, impatient and left. Pretty but, much. <laughs> but, 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 Goodbye! But, but along with that, it seems that there's a group of young pastors... And if you can call them this, young elders, who who are um, who, who are really rock solid, theologically conservative, committed to historic Christian faith, historic Christian values, the Reformed tradition, all of those kinds of things, and those are the guys who are beginning to really make their their presence felt at the General Assembly. 
And you got to have the hide of a rhinoceros. In other words, this isn't about being uh, sensitive. This is about the virtue of insensitivity, the right kind of insensitivity, yeah. the kind of insensitivity that doesn't get intimidated by an insult, the kind of insensitivity that doesn't get intimidated by being called a bad name. Yeah. And it's not just in you know, our circles. You know, I think about a guy like Calvin Robinson, you know, in the yeah. Anglican world. Yeah. Here's a guy, he's great. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Calvin Robinson, but he's a, a young black Englishman with a huge fro. He's tall, and he's uh, uh, basically uh, chastising the Church of England uh, in public every week on his, you know, news prod. You know, pop. I see a lot of you nodding your head, so you, you've heard of him, yeah. and he's great. He's great. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to try to get him on the podcast sometime. <laughs> yeah. That's Tom's job. He's <laughs> yeah, but we've already commissioned Tom to get, to get Calvin Robinson. It's, so, it's, oh, go ahead, Glenn. No, go ahead, Tom. Um, I, now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> Derailed again. Um, okay, yeah. So the, the point being that what we're going to, you know, for years people have been talking about the fact that, you know, the, the liberal churches are shrinking and conservative churches are growing. You would think that evangelicals would have learned from that. Um, by and large, a lot of the evangelical world hasn't. Now, there, there, are, there are bright spots in it. I mean, I'm, I'm, this isn't across the board. Um, but what's, what's really intriguing is what we're seeing is these kinds of trends continuing, particularly in the conservative uh, reformed camp. Um, and if demographics is destiny, they're gonna take over the world. You know, it's as simple as that. They're the ones who are having children. They're the ones who are staying faithful. They're having children because they're staying faithful. And that makes a huge amount of difference. Um, in, in a lot of ways, I, I've, I've been convinced for a while that homeschoolers were going to take over the country. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, but uh, be, not only because of the quality of education, but also, frankly, because of the quantity. <laughs> you know, both, both, both of them matter. So... <laughs> Yeah, I think related to that is the fact that, you know, we just brought this up earlier today, Tom, and, and you know, in our, our car ride. We don't have to manufacture meaning. If you have kids, your life is full of meaning. Your life is also full of struggle and pain and, and challenge and yeah. other stuff. But you're not like saying, what's the purpose of life? You know, you're not like yeah. in yeah. some existential crisis uh, unless you're just so completely self-absorbed that you're <laughs> out of touch with your family. And yeah. that can happen. I've seen it happen. But... You know, you've got meaning all around you. It's uh, calling for you to feed it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and I think tied to that, I think that was my point a little bit earlier, sometimes better than the, you know, just simply the rational arguments and the defense of the faith is the embodied life of Christians living their life out in the world faithfully and being intolerant towards playing with the boundaries that God has given us. I think that is that, that's the area in which I think the church has wanted to play with those boundaries, which Christians across history have said, this is the, this is the territory we don't go over. You know, I mean, you think of it with, you know, same-sex relationships and the church now wanting to bless these. Church for generation after generation drew a boundary. We don't go there. Why? Was it arbitrary? Was it just being bigoted? no. They, that was a place where they would, be, they would become intolerant if you started to push them to have to embrace things that fundamentally undermined Scripture and the vision of the church and the, the life of flourishing bound up with the procreative. And, I mean, this is, this is the point. I think it's the boundaries um, that 
you know, the evangelical world has wanted to let be fuzzy and let be transgress. And these are the things that the church has been in its best moments meant to preserve. They're, that's what they gave us. That's why we're here. Yeah, you, earlier today, again, in our car ride, you were talking about sort of the consumer mindset that seems to be pervade kind of mainstream megachurch Christianity, that you can have Christianity in a flavor that appeals to you. <laughs> rather than uh, being given something uh, that uh, is life-giving and you're told is what you need. Yeah. So I, a year, years ago, I was uh, at a, um, an event uh, in the, near, near Yale. It was sponsored by the Overseas Ministry Study Center. And, and the speaker made a statement or used a term that I've never forgotten. He said, well, we need to recover is our apostolic confidence, mm. apostolic confidence. In other words, we know something that the world does not know. So we don't go out with clipboards and ask, what do you know that we need to learn? Yeah. We go out to the world and say, you don't know that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he's returning to earth to judge the living and the dead. You need to know that whether you like it or not. You know, somebody comes to your house screaming, there's a tornado coming down the street, you better get in the basement. Do you like that news? No, but you really ought to listen. <laughs> you're, just imposing your heart. Heart. you're just imposing your worldview on me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's, yeah, it's just, you're, it's just yeah, you're, you're, you're just an arrogant person that's just pushing your thoughts on other people that don't need it. But, but you get the drift. So we have something the world needs to know, and... We need, to rem we need to recover that confidence that that's the case. Anyway. Um, I hope you have noticed that as we have gone down these rabbit trails, we haven't really <laughs> left the main question. And that main question is, why do the atheists think they need Christianity? We've been talking about that without expressly stating it. These are, are things that, that Christians have that the world needs. And in the absence of us doing our part on this, I hear a train whistle. <laughs> oh, in, no. in, in the absence, the tornado warning again. <laughs> in, in the absence of, of, of the church standing for these things and doing these things, we go woke. Yeah, and... I think another thing to consider, and it's been a kind of uh, implied in all of this, is that reason is tied to reality. Mm -hmm. So what is real? Well, if we don't believe in uh, a creator and that the creation has been uh, front-loaded with meaning, then either the world is just meaningless and we become nihilists, or we're subjectivists who believe that we need to impose meaning upon the world. Uh, the prevailing or, or the most uh, powerful movement at the, at, at the moment who's trying to do that is the woke. Yeah. They're not really interested in what the world has to say. They're not interested in what our bodies have to say or the limitations or the purposes that are built into them. What they're interested in is simply imposing uh, a vision of what they think will make them happy on reality itself. And anybody who is, uh, you know... Uh, disinclined to go along uh, is, a, is an enemy, somebody that needs to be eliminated. And that's the situation we find ourselves in. But what we need to recover is 
reality as, as such, that this is the world that God has made and that it has a future and that it has meaning front-loaded, uh, that it comes with meaning, and that we need to honor that meaning and accept it as a gift. Now, maybe that is a tornado. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, but I, I think that's... So getting back to this matter of what is our reason tied to? Is our reason just simply something that sort of floats in the air and is just kind of something that uh, we can employ to uh, pursue any end that we please? Or, to, or is reason in some sense tied to the world as it is made and is intended to sort of bring to the surface in our own minds the nature of that, that creation and its meaning? Yeah, what the, the question that you're raising, um, the whole issue is really, really revolves around um, what, something that philosophers used to recognize, that everything begins with metaphysics. Right. Um, the, the foundation of all philosophy is metaphysics. It's a question of what is real. Um, because what is real determines what you can know, and to some extent determines how you know it. What is real and what you can know also shapes what is the good. Uh, what what is right and wrong, um, and even points toward aesthetics. What is beauty? You know. So w w the the metaphysical foundation is really critical, and the medievals understood this. The metaphysics was the centerpiece of all medieval theology because of that central role. Now, philosophers, by and large, have turned away from this and more or less rejected metaphysics altogether as something unknowable in many cases, but. <clears throat> that that point that reason has to be tethered to reality um, is is really critical, and this again is one of the areas where the woke, particularly in the itsoji dimensions, um, really falls apart because reality contradicts all of the things that they they claim to be true about uh, you know about sex, about gender, about. Uh, even, you know, what appropriate sexual relations are, all of those kinds of things. Um, reality points in a very different direction. And they, but <clears throat> because of their rejection of fundamental aspects of reality, they go off the rails. Now, the problem is the, the atheist, even the conservative atheist that we've been talking about here, uh, doesn't have an adequate foundation in his metaphysics to support reason or any of the other things he wants to uh, wants to promote, and that again is one of the tremendous advantages Christianity has over these that we have a coherent view of all of these things. We understand the relationship between them because we have a solid foundation for metaphysics. There's a version of pragmatism known as consequentialism, which uh, uh, maintained that uh, the only way we can know whether or not something is right or wrong is, is uh, the anticipated consequences so that we can, you know, determine based on what we think will be the outcomes uh, whether something is good or bad. Now, there are a lot of problems with consequentialism as it's normally um, understood, but there is a kind of consequentialism <laughs> that has always been part of our understanding of the world as theists, and that is uh, God will judge. There, in other words, <laughs> there are consequences. <laughs> and and our, our unbelief, our hardness of heart, our 
sensuality, our sinfulness, our selfishness, all these things uh, are subject to God's judgment and they will be judged. And we're, we're I think, seeing this. And, and one of the things you see in Scripture, of course, is when God judges, it doesn't always come about, or it, the judgment always doesn't always look like fire from the sky, you know, brimstone and so forth. Sometimes it's just God letting you do what you want to do and then just giving you over to the consequences, kind of the just logical consequences of your behavior. And what you find is that you're miserable and dead, <laughs> spiritually and often physically. <laughs> and what we're experiencing right now is, a, is decadence, uh, decay, social decay, uh, and we can all feel it, and we're all sort of anxious about it. And I think it's evidence of, you know, just kind of the mm. fact that God has given us over to our lusts and said, okay, if that's what you want, go for it. You're not going to like it. And we're experiencing that now. I think you, you hit on something very, I mean, I think you hit on a core way of entering into our witness in this time. Because I agree 100% with everything Glenn just laid out. I think we need to have our commitments there and continue to promote that. I mean, it's sort of like we had Mike Hamby on one point and says, what if they don't accept the fact that we're committed to truth? You still stay committed to truth. And it isn't about whether the pragmatic results works in your favor. Um, but on the other hand, in a world that doesn't care anymore, the woke world about a worldview that's consistent or rational or coherent, we can say all day we have the most comprehensive, best worldview. And if they don't care about that, they don't care about it. But what you just hit on is the complement of what Glenn was just saying. That worldview grounded in reality is one that produces life, meaning and all of this as its natural fruit. The other produces death hell and the grave. So we're back to the New Testament. We're back to in Christ is life, out of Christ, death, hell, and the grave. We're back to where it's always really been. And this whole notion of developing out the theology of life that Scripture says, I think is the, probably one of the most profound forms of witness when we enact it in the world, even if it gets persecuted or resisted or rejected or labeled, it nevertheless produces life as the consequence. And therefore, it's not consequential, it's teleological. It does it because it is anchored in reality. And it bears fruit. And that is, the, that is I mean, you look at the New Testament. I mean, the, follow this life, it's gonna bear fruit. If you remain in him, what happens? You bear fruit, fruit that can't be produced naturally, right? But nature in, in, in its openness to the transcendent God that we worship produces something in the world that isn't of the world. And it's the riches we have, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all of that, which they don't have access to. We're the only ones who do. That's what we have, they don't have. That's the form, when that's enacted in the world, in the spirit, that's the byproduct of that is even flourishing for the common good. The byproduct of that is we've taken riches from heaven and brought it into earth in the limited form, even if it's resisted, as the first fruits of the kingdom. And I see that's the most profound way of witnessing in this time when rationality and coherence may not be open to them. Yeah. The other problem, by the way, with consequentialism is the only universal law in history is the law of unintended consequences. Yeah, right, 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 right. So, right. Um, yeah, the, 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 
what, what you, to try to bring this back to where we started and make another effort to doing that, um, the, the thing that I, I think this discussion really highlights is that the, you know, in, in the guy's argument that Christianity has the resources to create culture, whereas atheism doesn't, he was really acknowledging the limitations, the, 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 the paucity of, of what they have. Um, they, they have an epistemological system based on science that they think answers every question, but now they're suddenly finding questions being raised and answers being given that they have no tools to deal with. And what, we, what, what the Christian tradition offers him is tools to deal with those kinds of things. Even if we don't accept it as true, even if we don't like all the consequences of it, we gotta at least work with it or we're gonna lose everything. That I think is really what, what, what he's fundamentally arguing. And I think this discussion is really highlighting the kinds of things that he recognizes are missing from his atheistic scientism. This is a, a new apologetic moment, as I see, uh, uh, kind of an opening up before us. Uh, for the larger part of my life, there was a kind of insecurity that I kind of sensed uh, with Christians, and that insecurity was, well, maybe we don't have the arguments that will mm. bring anybody around, and maybe we need to do a better job of listening or doing a better job, uh, do a better job of of trying to understand and soften uh, yeah, it. Yeah, soften all that it yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> and now uh, we're at a moment where uh, we have more and more people throwing up their hands and saying what we thought was going to uh, sort of replace the Christian faith has failed. Hmm. And I think we even see it with the woke. I think the woke is, wokeism is almost kind of a last desperate attempt to create meaning yeah. uh, out of thin air, yeah. and it will fail miserably. Mm. So what does that mean for us? I think what it means is uh, we ought to uh, stand up straight. We ought to recover the riches of our own faith, and we ought to, we ought to proclaim the, you know, confidently the the gospel. Yeah, the, the the idea of a new apologetic, I think, is is um, well taken. It's I, I hadn't really thought of it in those terms. But the fact of the matter is, traditional apologetic methods don't work in a world that doesn't that care about reason anymore. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't really care about reason or coherence. For that <laughs> reason, coherence, evidence. Um, Reality. I, 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 yeah, I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I've never really grasped why people think presuppositionalism actually works to convince anybody of anything. I mean, just to be honest with you, I may not understand it well enough, but, but be that as it may, we've got all of these approaches that are ill-suited to the cultural moment we're in. Hmm. And what we do need, in fact, is a new apologetic. And um, the idea of presenting a comprehensive working vision of hmm. the world that... It, that produces flourishing, that produces life, that produces joy, all of these kinds of things is probably exactly what we need right now because we need to do something to, you know, to respond to, but more than just respond to, to, to provide an alternative to counter 
the cultural despair, frankly, that, uh, that we're seeing. That's, that's it. People yeah. have lost faith, not only in the dream that they created for themselves, but also in the uh, public authorities that they thought would be able to bring that dream to pass. Yeah. I, I was talking to somebody yesterday, I guess, a guy I know down in Tennessee, well, I suppose from here it's up in Tennessee, um, mm -hmm. that um, th this is a guy who's uh, worked uh, in various capacities in, you know, for the U.S. government for all of his adult life, you know, and he's in his 50s, and he said, I'm through. I'm just not going to, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not going to work with the government anymore. I'm not going to play these games uh, that they want me to play. It's just, you know, I'm just not going to do it. And, you know, I, the, the sense I got is that from someone who is really pretty patriotic and all of those kinds of things, he started seeing the government as being actively malevolent. So what do you do with that? Mm. Frankly, I'm with him. Yeah, that's right. You know, but, right, right. but, but you know, what, what, what do you do with that? Well, our citizenship is not in this world, ultimately. Yeah. And what we've got to do is live as citizens of the kingdom, yeah. which means living in a way that is going to be, and actually this is true throughout history, but I would say especially in our cultural moment, um, it means living in a way that's radically countercultural. I think we've come to that point in the show <laughs> where it's about time to bring it in for a landing. And uh, anything you want to say uh, as we sign off here, Tom? Uh, I think I've said enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. I'll be in trouble if I say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're already on blacklists. There, are, there already are reports already that the government has generated that have our I names on I know there are files on me. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, anything else, uh, Glenn, you want to say? No, well, again, just to, just to reiterate the main point here, the, even the people who are into scientism and atheism and all of that are beginning to realize that they are helpless in the face of the cultural juggernaut that's coming from the left. And they're beginning to take another look at Christianity, if, if, at least for pragmatic reasons, uh, as as potentially the only bulwark that they've got to um, to resist this, and I have actually seen uh, new atheists making arguments that we need to recover Christendom. Right, so, right. so yeah. this yeah. is this is an utterly <laughs> remarkable moment in history, and I think we need to be thinking about how you know what opportunities God is placing in front of us uh, to respond to this. Yeah, I guess my last thought is, is the last thing we need uh, are kind of uh, 1950s, 60s, 70s evangelicals saying, no, no, Christendom <laughs> would just be awful. We shouldn't have that. What we need is the confidence mm -hmm. that um, God has brought us to this time to serve in a way uh, that reflects the way that the early church served mm -hmm. uh, the world they found themselves in that was falling apart. Mm -hmm. We may not feel up to the task, and we don't, I don't, but we may be the only thing that can meet uh, the challenge, as this fellow has already noted. Hmm. And with that in mind, maybe we just need to rise to the challenge and believe that God will give us the ability to do what needs to be done. I'm going to throw in a final, final comment. Okay. <laughs> um, 
I, I think, you know, you know, every evangelical who does anything with evangelism knows Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Okay. What we need to pay attention to is what follows. 10. Ephesians 2.10 <laughs> says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. What that means is that God has prepared works for us to do at this time in this present moment. We are the people God chose to put here and gave us things to do here Right here, right now, we are the people that God wants to respond to this cultural moment. And are we up to the task? No, we're not, but the Holy Spirit is. Yeah. Right, right. So yeah. that is, that's where, you know, we, we, we can't afford despair. Despair is a sin because it denies the sovereignty right, of God. Right. And in God's sovereignty, he put us here at this moment for a purpose. And we just need to get about doing the good works that God has prepared ahead of time for us to do now. Right. Anyway, with those thoughts, thank you for listening to the Theology Pugcast. Uh, we want to thank again uh, the good folks at Trinity Reformed Church uh, for sponsoring our event tonight. We want to remember the folks at Preservation Company uh, and uh, thank them for this marvelous space to meet in. Um, and we want to thank you for your ongoing support. Thank you to all those folks out there who give to us on a monthly basis through Patreon. If you're interested in becoming one of those people, there will be a link in the show notes uh, that will take you to our Patreon page. And if you want to help out uh, meeting the just the ongoing cost of the show, we'd really appreciate that. But anyway, that's enough for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Theology Podcast is a ministry of Trinity Reformed Church in Huntsville, Alabama. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy another one of our podcasts, Got a Minute, featuring Larson Hicks and Rich Lusk. Theology, philosophy, economics, politics, and more for normal people.